Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, December 6, 2021, and today we're reading from the big book, and we're in chapter 11 on page 151, and we're reading the first paragraph for most normal folks, that one paragraph only. Today's readers are, and thank you for your service. For the 12 steps, Judith S.P., for the 12 Traditions, Silvana G. Reading the text are Larry K. and Penny E. And our backup today is Dara L. The newcomer greeter is Nancy C. And the host of the second hour is Karen K. The reference number for Sunday, December 5th, special edition is 18,190. That's 18190. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Judith S.P. to read the 12 steps. Star one, Judith. Judith, we cannot hear you. Can you hear me now? Yep, there you are. Thank you. Okay. My name is Judith S.P., gratefully recovered from Maryland. The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to remove our conscious contact with God as we understood him. 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry the message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Judith S.P. Okay, I will now ask Sylvana G. to read the 12 Traditions. Hi, I'm Sylvana G. from Pennsylvania. I'm a compulsive overeater. Number one, our common welfare, the 12 Traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God is he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for AA membership is the desire to stop to stop drinking. Four, each group ought to be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Six, an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, AA at such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Savannah. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 151 in the chapter of Vision for You, the first paragraph for most normal folks. And I will ask Larry Kay to begin reading. Good morning, Katie. Thanks so much for your service. I'm Larry Kay. I'm a recovered uh, compulsive reader from the Chicago area. All right, so chapter 11 of Vision for You. For most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good, but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone, 
they were but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did, and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. So just a a point of history, we're starting the chapter vision for you. Bill actually wrote this chapter, chapter 11, before, I found it interesting, before he wrote the chapter, How It Works, chapter 5, before he laid out the, uh, he was having uh, some challenges with getting down how to, you know, just what this program of action would look like, how to get sober and stay sober. But in the meantime, he began this chapter, and I think he did a wonderful job. So in this paragraph, for me, there was a, a, a real contrast, actually a tremendous contrast between my compulsive eating as a child in my teenage years and even in early earlier adulthood, um, the contrast between that versus, as Bill says, at the last days of my heavy, in our case, my heavy eating. So in the, in the early days, you know, I remember them as very carefree, you know, and, um, and I'll give you an example. <clears throat> as a child, you know, maybe I was about 10 years old, and I had an older cousin. I still do have an older cousin, but my older cousin, Howie, was about eh, 12, 13 years my senior. And he would take me and my brothers to hockey games in Chicago. And, oh, that was really exciting. The, Black, the Chicago Blackhawks, real exciting for me. And um, I don't remember much about the games, but I'll tell you what I do remember. I remember the excitement after the game. Because after the game, you know, the games typically would start in the evening, you know, maybe 7 p.m. or so. And after the game, that's what, what got my excitement. It became a tradition for us to gorge ourselves with Italian beef and sausage and French fries at a place called Roma's. And for Harlan's sake, I'm going to give the address. He likes addresses. 4237 North Cicero Avenue, Harlan. Uh, Roma's beef, it's still there today. And boy, was that exciting to me. And there was there companionship, you bet. Was there, you know, the, the spark of colorful imagination? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And conviviality, I don't know what that means exactly, but I, I think it's like friendliness, that sort of excitement. Yes, all of that. There was a lot of laughter. And, and any 10-year-old stresses that I might have had, and I didn't have a great childhood, that's for sure, they were gone at those times. And any worries that I had, they seemed to disappear in those moments at Roma's. Now, you, you fast forward. We did it many, many times. Now, you fast forward 30 years from that point. And I swear to you guys, I would drive 50, 60 miles to Roma's to recapture the great moments of the past. And I was by myself usually, right? And, and I would head there. And now I'm, let's say, 280 pounds on a 5'10 frame, and I'm bursting at the seams, and my life is a mess, and I'm a new father of a young child, soon to be divorced. And as I walked into the door at 4237 North Cicero, see, the old pleasures were gone. And as I stuffed my face with the, the same food, it was the same exact food, even today, of my childhood, I could not recapture the great moments of the past. No matter how desperately I yearned, to enjoy life as I once did as a child. I just couldn't do Hi, it. Hi, Larry. 
Okay, and I'll wrap up, Katie. Okay. But actually, yeah, thank you, Katie. I'll wrap up. But actually, you know, the what happened was is once I I embarked on these steps, and he lays out a vision for us. You know that those changes occurred, and I didn't need those things anymore. So, thanks, Katie, for the time, the timer, and with that, I pass. Okay, thank you, Larry. And though, although we um, value your experience, we ask that you limit your shares to every third day in order that others might share their experience. So if you didn't share on Thursday or Friday and would like to share on the first paragraph in Chapter 11, A Vision for You, on page 151, please give me your name and the first initial of your last name. Sarah L. Sarah Loretta L. H. Loretta H. Bonnie B. Bonnie B. Melissa C. Melissa C. We'll take a few more. Sear F. Leah S. Here F. Leah S. Elaine R. And Elaine R. Okay, let's stop there. Thank you. So we much. have Dara L. Loretta H. Bonnie B. Melissa C. Sear F. Leah S. And Elaine R. Go ahead, please, Dara. Um, great, thanks. I'm Dara. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Philadelphia, um, and certainly not a normal person when it comes to eating. Like all of this about conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination, like that is lost to me forever. I will never, ever, ever get from food what I once did, even if I were to go back to binging and purging and starving and overexercising and all the stuff I did. Like that is just never going to be there again. For me, the the allure of the food died long before I came, uh, you know, dragged myself into this program and through the steps. Um, This paragraph makes me think about, I had a dear friend, Frankie, uh, years ago who died of a heroin overdose. And one of the things he told me, like, really stood out to me. And he said, you know, um, the progress of addiction is that what's fun in the beginning becomes habit and then what's habit becomes necessity and the addict spends their whole life trying to get from necessity back to fun again and that has always really resonated for me you know this idea that that that, like that's the desperate thing about addiction right is i'm trying to capture something that is uncapturable. I'm trying to uh, relive a feeling that that just is not accessible to me, whether I'm in the food or not. And I'm thinking about how, like, I think for me, the pain of being a compulsive overeater wasn't so much when I was binging and it was working. It was when I was binging and it stopped working. And I, and I couldn't stop thinking, you know, it's like this time it'll be different. This time it'll give me that high, this time it'll give me the rush, you know, and I just needed more and more and more food to get any effect. Um, and, and you know, contrary to, like, it wasn't, it wasn't giving me a life. It wasn't getting me closer to people. It wasn't, there was no pleasure. It was just pain. It was just pain and oblivion, you know, and um, 
And it's funny because today, you know, I still have an insistent yearning. I think I always will, but the yearning is for God. The yearning is for, you know, step work. The yearning is for the effect that I get, you know, through through this, um, this work and, and this, you know, this magic and, and the miracles of this program. But, you know, the, the emptiness that I felt, that void, um, was so, it, was, it was horrible. And all I knew was to try to fill it with food, and food wasn't working. It was so, it was so painful. And just to anyone who's in that place, you know, today, I, I, my heart just goes out to you because it, when the food stops working, I needed another God. Um, and, I, and I didn't really believe in a God. So, so that was, you know, my dilemma. But anyways, really glad to be at this meeting, and I'll pass. Thank you so much, Dara. Okay, Loretta H., you're up, followed by Bonnie B. Good morning, Katie, and good morning, everyone on this line who saves my life along with my loving God. Loretta H., recovered, thank you, God, from compulsive overeating. I have never, ever had an experience where food made me happy. It always made me shameful, sad. It just, I, I hid my disease. And when I didn't hid, hide my disease, it brought about shame. I remember at this time of the year when I was a little tiny girl, I went over to somebody's house to bake Christmas cookies. And I ate all the cookies. And I was brought back to my home by the woman. And she said I was never allowed to come to her house again. That, you know, and it was like that. I ate all the popcorn stringing in a class one day um, and, again, shamed. And so this has never brought me conviviality or any type of happiness ever. And today what brings me happiness is the fellowship. It's so weird because it's so, this is where I get, we're not a glum lot, you know, from doing the work, from having experience with other compulsive overeaters that claim their disease but don't shame their disease or blame anybody or complain about it because we have a solution. And this is a vision for you. This is actually what's going to happen to us. We are going to go get into a place where we can be happy, joyous, and free. And, in fact, I'm so grateful today. My It's my brother-in-law's 51st AA anniversary and that and he's been through trials his son was murdered very early into his sobriety so it works I know it works but I also have to work it and so I'm just so grateful for this program because it's brought me this that I was looking for all my life how to do relationships and how to see God in my relationships and how to bring something to the table instead of constantly taking as I did when I was using food from the tables. And so with God's grace and mercy today, I have another chance with doing this book and working my steps. I'm redoing my steps again. I just redid them and I'm going to redo them because I still have an issue that I haven't been able to um not solve, but have a solution to. So it works. And it, it's, this is, I got the first paragraph in the rooms. And it's not a sword place. It's a happy, joyous, and free place. There I can see the face of God in all my affairs if I work it. And with that, I pass. 
Thank you so much, Loretta. Okay, Bonnie B, you're up, followed by Melissa C. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Katie, for um, your service and for all the shares. Um, I just mirror everything that has been spoken so far. Um, you know, my reality was that I never felt like I fit in. I mean, the paragraph talks about all the good feelings. I never had the good feelings. And I went to the functions and I did what other people did because I wanted to feel like I said it. So I wanted to feel like I fit in. Um, in my heart, I never fit in. And this is the thing that was so challenging for me. I pretended for years um, until I came into program. And what program did for me is program broke open um, those other areas that revealed some of the stuff that um, allowed me to grow and to accept myself for who I was um, and to embrace a newfound um, relationship with my Savior. Um, I came into program as a believer, um, but I did not have that connection to, to higher power or to my God. It was, it was elusive to me. And food was a, a substitute, and it was done, as the previous speaker shared, um, it was done in secret. It was done in hiding. It was never done um, out in the open. Um, um, yeah, and the cover-up for me was um, the restricting, the binging, and the exercising. And that kept me within 40 pounds of what people would say is normal. And so I didn't draw a lot of attention to myself, but I was in lockdown nonstop, and I was never free. And so... I never had um, what the beginning of this paragraph talks about, but I knew I didn't have. And it's through this program, it's through doing the steps, it's through the grace of God that I now have that. And so grateful for each of you. I just realized I forgot to say Bonnie B. from um, Florida and grateful I recovered for today. Um, and I will pass. Thank you much. Thank you, Bonnie. Okay. And so next we have... Melissa C. followed by Cher F. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Okay, go ahead, Melissa. Hi, good morning, Katie. Thanks so much for your service this morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York. And, you know, when I, when I read this, I think it's a distinction. I have to know that I'm not like normal people because it says here, for normal people this is what drinking means, this is what eating means. And, um, you know, I one time thought that my the reason I have a problem with food is because I really like food too much. <laughs> you know, I would say, well, I really, I just really like to eat and I like food. And this paragraph sort of reminds me, yeah, so does everyone else. Everybody else likes food. And here's the reasons why, because eating for most people, it's really social. It's a social event, you know, and I, I go to family occasions or functions, and people are really happy to eat together. They're sharing their food together. They're having conversations, and then for most of them, food then goes to the background. You know, it, it gets quiet, and it becomes about the connection. And for me, in a social engagement, if I pick up a bite of food, the people move to the background. It is the most antisocial thing I can do. And it's, you know, it's like if you're in a room and there's music in the background and it's quiet, 
that's what food is for most normal people. But for me, the music gets so loud, I can't hear anybody around me. It's the most antisocial thing I can do to start eating. And yet my strange mental twist would tell me, in abstinence, without a connection to God, you want to feel close to people. How could you not have a slice of that birthday cake? How could you not? It's your child's birthday, for God's sakes, right? Or it would tell me on a Friday night, come on, your family eats pizza on Friday night. You have to eat pizza. You're going to feel close to them if you eat pizza. You know, that's the strange mental twist. And early on, too, I thought maybe I can have like a snack. You know, and listen to people have different food plans, but I thought maybe I can have a snack at night. And, you know, why? My, my sponsor pressed me, why do you want this snack so bad? And I thought, well, because I want to be able to sit with my family and, and enjoy watching TV together and having a snack. And, and she reminded me, food is not a social event for you. Food is nutrition. And that, for me, makes a clear distinction. I'm not like normal people. I can eat. I can like my food. But it's my nutrition, and it's not my way of engaging with people. And when I found out what I longed for, really, was connection. And I can't get that for food. Thanks, but I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Okay, Sheer F, you're up, uh, followed by Leah F. Hi, this is Sheer F from Northern New York. Um, yeah, this paragraph really resonated with me. It reminded me of uh, a few specific scenes in my life. One was back in high school where I was really unpopular and I only had a couple of other friends. And one girl had her birthday party and it was just three of us in the basement of her house and she had gotten a chocolate fountain, you know, fondue kind of thing and we could dip all this stuff in chocolate. And this was like the best thing ever and the three of us just sat there eating, gorging ourselves on this food and making a complete mess. Um, but that was my social, quote unquote, life in, in high school. Then in college, um, I was a pretty serious athlete. And so I had to eat a lot to keep my weight up. I didn't have to eat the particular foods that I ate, but I, but I ate a lot. And my roommates um, and friends from the team, we would all go and we'd eat huge amounts of food. And in many ways, it was social because it was like almost like the exercise part that we did in our sport because we were doing it together. But even though I was on a team, even though freshman year I was elected co-captain, I never felt like I belonged on that team or with those girls. I've never felt like I belonged in any group until I came to OA, um, but the final scene of that illustrates this paragraph for me is the scene where I met the person who told me about OA. Uh, I was at a Christmas party, and the hosts had put out, you know, the kinds of chocolates that you get in a box, um, but they had put them out, like huge tray of them at the party, and I could not leave that tray. I just kept shoving them into my mouth one after the other and I could I loved all the people there but I couldn't connect with them. And so I said to a friend of mine who I knew was a recovered alcoholic, I was like, what should I do? I need to go to a rehab and just get 
the sugar out of my system for a month or something, and then I'll be fine. And she's like, well, I don't know about that, but there's an OA group in Saranac Lake, and um, why don't you go? And I did, and it changed my life. I, you know, I haven't been fully abstinent or recovered these last 21 years, but my life has improved immeasurably, and I've made connections with people that feel real. I feel like I am part of the group. People care about me. I care about them. We connect over things that have nothing to do with food. And I'm just so grateful for this program and um, and the fact that I can have lots of conviviality without food, which I have to always remember. So thank you. And I pass. Thank you so much. So you're up. And Leah S., you're up, followed by Elaine R. Thank you very much, Katie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Leah S. Recovered and very grateful in Brooklyn, New York. So um, I I think I've shared that um, many times where I went into a restaurant and uh, I was in the early part of my recovery when it, it just felt too hard to continue this program and I ordered the most exquisite uh, stuff that I always wanted to eat and purge on and 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 binge on and whatever and then what happened was I said to myself no I'm going to start with a dessert first and um and as I was picking up the uh, the fork, I was thinking to myself, is that the uh, solution? Is that really what I want? You know, so in my uh, uh, in my teens, I wanted to be pretty, and I wanted to always look pretty and be in, in, quote, unquote, I want to be in. And then as I grew up, I wanted to be attractive. And then as I, I, I continued growing up, I wanted to be the catch, the catch. And then everything was all about, I don't know, it just shifted all about the food, the food, the food. What was it in my early part of recovery that didn't allow me, that made me go into that restaurant and order all these um, foods that, that I kept thinking are the death of me? What made me? Because I wanted for one more time to recapture the, the, the pleasure that I used to get out of the food. And as I picked up my fork or my hands, I said, nah. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's that realization. It's that realization that got me going, that got me working more and more on my fourth step and digging more into my eighth step so I can do the ninth step properly so that I can really, really be free from this bondage that this food is giving me. And then definitely not doing anything without step three. Absolutely. And, and and paying for that food. What made me paid for that? I didn't even touch it. That was the price that I paid. Those dollars, whatever I paid for that food, for putting it on my table, for giving me that lesson, that there really, really is no other way. It's not about the donuts. It's not about anything. It's not about those truffles. It's about it's about actually coming to terms with Leia, who Leia really wants to be, 
and there's always a strive for more and more. Thank you, God, for that. And thank you for this program. I pass. Thank you, Leah S. And Elaine R., you're next. And then we'll open it up for more shares. We're on page 151, a vision for you, and in the first paragraph. Okay, go ahead, Elaine. I am Elaine R. I am in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I am grateful, truly grateful, to be in this meeting today. My voice is doing weird things. I apologize. As far as convenience, I can't even say it today. The companionship, the imagination. A part of me has always and continues to be one that wants to fit in. One that would just like to do the things that I see on TV, um, showing my age here, uh, reruns of Leave it to Beaver or Father Knows Best, where the family sits down and they talk about issues. And it's happy by the end of the 30 minutes or the hour or whatever. And in my youth, I was overweight. However, I was able to run and I was able to perform in the regular stuff that they did in gym. And I still didn't fit in. And if I back it up before I turned eight years of eight years old, I was not heavy. I was in fact an embarrassment because you're not supposed to be a black child and look a tad speak. I was an embarrassment and my mother didn't know what to do with me because I wouldn't eat. And my older brother, nine years my senior, he made eating a competition. And I loved him so much. If he would have said, stand on your head and spin around. I would have been trying to do it. So someone nine years older than me helped me to feel companionship by saying, if I can eat two of these, you can too. Food became my means of fitting in, or at least I thought it was. It's never been my friend, even though kind of like Halloween, it will wear masks and appear to be. The closest I have ever come to fitting in is in the first two chapters of the OA 12 and 12, when it describes the specific things that I have done. Time, please. That I have tried. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Elaine. Okay, so we're on page 151, the first paragraph um, for most normal folks. And if you haven't shared in the last two days on Thursday or Friday, 
Um, please give me your first name and the first initial of your last name. Lisa B. Katie G. from Boston. Jackie A. Katie G. Jackie A. Tony C. Martha W. Nancy R. Diva J. Lisa B. Okay, Lisa, I got Lisa B. If we could stop for a second. Um, I have Lisa B, Katie G, I think it was Jackie, Joni, Melissa W, and then I don't have any other names. I think I heard Nessa. Okay, anybody else? Ross M. Did you hear Anita J? Russ M, Anita J. Okay, let's stop there. Um, I have Lisa B, Katie G, Jackie, I think it's Jackie B, and Joni C, Melissa W, Nessa R, Russ M, and Anita J. Did I make any of that up? Is there anyone else? Risk R if there's time. I'm sorry? Okay. I don't, two, four, six, eight. That's eight. And sorry, we have. R from Baltimore if there's time. Okay, I'm still not hearing your name, but I don't think we're going to have time anyway, so sorry. Um, so go ahead, Lisa B., followed by Katie G. Go ahead, Lisa. Star one to unmute. There I am. Okay, I thought I was. Thank you Thank so much. You. My name uh -huh. is Lisa B., I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in South Carolina, and thank you, Katie. This has been such a powerful meeting. It really has struck me to my my gut. Um, you know, so much about addiction in my food has been about isolating and trying to hide. And, you know, it's amazing. I'm a compulsive overeater, but I was so malnourished. I was malnourished in the spirit and in every way that you could imagine. And I was just dying, even though I was stuffing myself and restricting and compulsively exercising. And, you know, I heard someone talk about um, connecting with others this morning. And I thought of what I heard on a meeting that the opposite of addiction is connection. And I was terrified to connect with others without having food. And food, especially like cookies and sweets and volume like large high volume even on healthy food you know but as long as I had that really full feeling I felt like I, I couldn't be touched you know I couldn't be reached um, but yeah I wanted desperately to connect with others I wanted desperately to connect with this power this loving power that I felt in my backyard you know in the when I would run around you know in the yard or look up in the trees I knew there was some sort of a presence and I just didn't know how to reach it so I'm so grateful for the fellowship of OA and the 12 steps through the big book um, because it's given me a way to connect with this power. But it really started with you guys. And I had a sponsor in AA years ago tell me the more honest I am with another alcoholic, I get closer to God. You know, And it took me years to find that in OA because for a long time I thought I was better than you because I didn't carry the weight the way some of other people did but I was so dead inside. And I do believe there is a 300-pound person inside of me. And there's an 80-pound anorexic inside of me, you know, and I don't know which way it's going to go, when it's going to stop, or when it could start. But I just know that I needed that spiritual awakening. I needed desperately that personality change because the problem was inside of me. And everywhere I went, there it was. 
but I just didn't know how to lay hold of that power, that resource, you know, and connecting with my fellows in OA has been an amazing experience. And sometimes it's painful because sometimes I still want to hide, you know, and I can't find that release and joy in the food that I did when I was maybe 10 years old in the chocolate chip cookies, you know, and I love what someone shared, trying to recapture that. It's never going to be there. It's just nourishment. So I thank you all, and I'm glad to be here. I pass. Thank you so much, Lisa B. Katie G., you're up, followed by Jackie, I believe, B. Good morning, Katie. Thanks for taking the meeting. Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Eater. You know, um, this really reminds me of my delusional thinking, right? The book teaches me that um, it wasn't the food that was bringing me this nourishment. It was a sense of ease and comfort, right? And so it's this like sense of ease and comfort. I remember like when I would decide to have a binge, like my whole body would like calm down, like this idea, like I'm sorry, but like almost sexualizing food. And um, And I did that well into recovery, taking abstinent quote-unquote food, which doesn't exist for me, and turning it into an entertainment or a game. But the thing that really struck me this morning um, is this idea when we're coming out of relapse, like a lot of people, well, I'll just speak for myself, I just wanted to recapture the great moments of the past. So I get on the line, I go through the steps, I can finally say I'm recovered, and then I slowly go backwards through the steps and end up picking up the food, right? The food is the last to go. And so then I'm saying, well, I need to get back to doing what I did. The most powerful thing for me is to remember the main problem of my disease, it's in my mind. And that this is a program of subtraction, never addition. And so for me, what that means is even though I have been recovered for a few 24 hours, I need to engage in a program of subtraction, never addition. Um, I need a new experience with God and the 12 steps. I need to not go back and that it is my delusional thinking that thinks, oh my gosh, I got to get back to where I was, but where I was led me to where I am. And then then I picked up exercise bulimia and the food. And, you know, even um, in my recovered state today, like I know I need a new experience with God because I have been getting hung up. I've been doing tons and tons of step 10s and tons of step 11 and, you know, not enough God. Because again, you know, one of the things I've learned recently is that this book is just a treasure map. It's just a treasure map. The whole point of this program, and I'm sorry if this is offending to you, but the whole point of this program is to get God. God, because only God can change me, right? And that is the whole point, and I need to be transformed each and every day. I need a new experience. I need God to take it away. So I'm just so grateful to be learning today with all of you, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Katie G. And now we'll have Jackie, I think, B, followed by Joni, I think, C.
there Jackie who had given me their name? Hi, okay, this Jen. is Jackie. Okay. Oh, sorry, this is Jackie A from Connecticut. Okay, there you go. Go ahead, Jackie. Thank you so much. It's an I promise it's always an honor to to chat on um a vision for you because for me it's like something I listen to as homework. So I look at it like to treat it as respect to like my higher power. Like I love that in the mornings, like this is how I get to start my day with connection. And I I was not giving thought to like how I came to love my binge foods or how I came to chase that um those experiences and and I didn't really have an eating disorder that manifested until I was about 19. And a lot of it came from economic security when I was younger. A lot of it came from like child abuse and like poverty. And I'm a social worker. I'm well in a different state of mind now in socioeconomic class, but I never forget my roots ever. And um, as a kid, I, my mom would joke or not joke, but she would tell the Christmas story of like me popping the peanut butter balls for peanut butter cookies in my mouth. Like they didn't make it to the plate. And when I worked in my 20s, I worked in a domestic violence shelter at nighttime, and I was separated from my fiance at the time. So working second and third shift, I food sedated myself. I would eat a jar of peanut butter a night out of the cases that were there because I didn't want the women to go without food. And I would just cry myself to sleep if I was doing a sleep-wake shift until the next woman I had to pick up or do an intake for. And I just remember, like, that was my way of feeling safe. And, and it's sad, like, that I, I can't, my, my dog gets peanut butter now, that's it. And, um, and I never used to pick up watermelons, like, I, I can eat a whole watermelon, like, nothing. I remember shopping at Trader Joe's where I worked. And I remember ha buying 34 watermelons this summer. And people were like, oh, do you, that's for your family. I'm like, no, that's for my week. Like, and, um, and I would eat them because I had been hospitalized for um, for heat stroke and for migraines and for being out in the sun and not having water. And so there's so many times where I started with the food because of what reminded me of cute memories of the summer or getting that on a picnic or after a road race. But I never, I never put that chase down. I always put it as like, I'm making up for lost time in my sick, twisted head. And now it's like my sponsor is just so helpful in helping me understand that, like, I'm not going to die again. Like, I'm not going to, like, go near death from this experience or have to fear that, you know, that unknown. Like, I'm in a completely safe spot in my life, and I know how to follow that path. I know how to stay connected, and God's around me nonstop. God's my date to everything. And, um... And this program just really helpful in me understanding like that set aside prayer of, I don't know jack shit about my recovery. I have no idea where I'm going next. I have no idea what I know about my Time, past. Please, Jackie. Thank you. And with that, I pass and look forward to more shares. And thank you, everybody. Thank you. Okay, Joni, you're up, followed by Melissa W. Hi, this is Joni C. Um, recovered but not cured uh, in Minnesota. Uh, um, when I was really young, the, one of the first memories I have is making Pfeffernus cookies with my mom and eating a bunch of the dough and, and 
and from then uh, around that time everyone was trying to get me to eat 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 you're so thin eat 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 and i was in heaven it was just wonderful i loved the attention i loved the food i loved everything about that time and then um i had to have my tonsils removed and I don't know what happened, if my metabolism changed or what, but all of a sudden I started putting on weight. And then it was like, um, you're eating too much. Stop eating too much. And, uh, you know, it, it was like my body betrayed me. And um, the all the all those good memories of, eating all those foods went away and it was like you know what what happened what happened it was wonderful and um that was kind of the way things went with me and and from that point on i i battled my weight i'm 61 now and i spent about 59 of them, no, 55 of them overeating, and uh, I'm just free now. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And with that, I pass. Okay, thank you so much, um, Joni. And um, Melissa W., you're up, followed by... Um, I don't think Nessa R said her name. I think I made that up. So we'll go with Russ M next after uh, Melissa W. Uh, thank you so much. Hi, Melissa W. Recovered in New York. Morning, everyone. This meeting is is amazing. It's really amazing, and I feel um, privileged to be here today. Um, it, the whole thing reminds me of that um, the AA speaker quote that all problems can be reduced to one problem, which is conscious separation from God. And all solutions can be reduced to one thing, which is conscious contact with God. And, um, you know, I sort of always think about my disease as disconnect, darkness, and dishonesty. And my recovery as connection and honesty and light. So they're the opposite of each other. And I spent my entire life with this, like, invisible but very real pane of glass between me and the rest of the world and arguably between me and myself. And I just, like, I couldn't break through. I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't love anyone. I couldn't feel any love for myself. I couldn't trust anyone. And, like, the idea that food was connection for me, food, and as I've heard on this line today, it was just ease and comfort. It was just, like, a desperate attempt at something that didn't work. And, you know, the thing is, like, that, you know, th this recovery, recovery has given me these steps, by working these steps laid out in this program, has given me connection with something, a power greater than myself, with all of you, with the people I love in myself, in my life, with myself. But I don't even have to pick up the food today to be separated from others and separated from God. I just have to put down the program. Because when I stop working these steps, when I stop on 10 and 11 and those thoughts come into my head, I am no longer in the room. All this has left the building. 
And all I'm thinking about is like, oh, there's like, you know, those tweets are in the other room and I'm no longer sitting with my kids and listening to my kids. I don't even have to take the bite. I just have to stop doing the work. And so I, you know, for, for a girl like me, you know, and, and, and recently I started a new job where I'm like, I get a little confused sometimes. Like, is God my employer? Because when I, I get confused and I start thinking that work is my employer and I put down the program a little bit, again, like, I don't even have to take that bite for me to not be present. So thank you so much for, um, for this meeting today and reminding me really of what my, my purpose is and of the beauty of connection through working these steps. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you so much. Um, and Rasem, you're up, and then uh, if you could just take two minutes, a little over two okay. minutes, please. All right, thank thanks, you. Katie. Thank you, Katie. Good morning, everybody. So looking at this paragraph, you, you know, <laughs> the only companionship I had back in the day when I was in the food was me putting my arm around you and imagining how I'm going to get to the food and getting you out, Jedi mind tricking you to get away from me acting like I'm interested so I could hit the food, so I could get numb. I was addicted to the numb. And, you know, I looked at this, and, and, you know, even in the past, after the numb, it was painful. So it was always painful when I got into this. Now, because of the the steps and getting closer to God through the steps in this way of life, I've I've been reduced to... Defining how hard the bubbles are in, in seltzer water, you know that's that's where I'm at. I'm living on the edge now, seltzer water, you know. But I'm so glad that I'm compulsive overeater because I would have never got to this point. You know, I would have never destroyed all these relationships. I would have never had these heartaches. Well, maybe I would have. I just wouldn't have done them, dealt with them in in this 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 fashion that I did for about 44 years. So, you know, and it was always I'll start on Monday. My poor grandfather on the holidays would try to accommodate my food, my dietary needs, and then I'd be like a Tasmanian devil and just destroy everything no matter what anyway, ate everything. So, you know, I'm living a different life, and it's because of these steps and through God's grace and a relationship with God. So hope it made sense. Y'all have a great day. Thank you. Okay, so we have 30 seconds. Do you want to talk for 30 seconds, Anita J? Otherwise, we'll just go ahead and stop. I want to think. Okay. The next hour. Okay, thank you. Okay, and thank you to everyone who shared this morning. Um, Let's see. Please join us for a second unrecorded unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing and the share ID for today, Monday, December 6, 2021, 7 a.m. meeting is 18,193. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Penny E. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes. Good morning, everybody. Penny E. from South Jersey Recovered. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.